The bandwidth for this episode of the AR-15 Podcast is sponsored by the Firearms Radio Network, firearmsradio.tv. Welcome to episode number 114 of the AR-15 Podcast. I'm your host, J.W. Ramp, and this is the podcast about your favorite black rifle. This show is for you whether you're building your first AR or you've been building ARs for years. There's something we can all do to take our black rifle to the next level. Remember guys, Brownells helps make this show possible. With their 100% lifetime satisfaction guarantee, they're there for us anytime we might have a problem, like when Reed can't seem to remove the taper pins from his new barrel. They wanted us to let you know about the new Brownells Edge program, if you've heard of Amazon Prime, this seems like kind of the uh, the similar to that program. It's called the Brownells Edge program. You get free standard shipping on all of your orders. Uh, you get discounts if you really want it there quick. If you want to do a two-day or overnight drop on your package, uh, they'll give you a discount on that. There's free return shipping if, for whatever reason, you're not happy with the product, if you want to try something else. And they've actually got some special members-only offers and discounts that they email out to members. So take a look at them. You can get to their website at ar15podcast.com slash parts. All right, guys, with me tonight is Eric from IRECVET8888. You might know him as IV Quadruple 8, IV8888, something like that on YouTube. Uh, if you have ever searched YouTube for guns or explosions or opinions or melting ARs, you've probably run across Eric and uh, some of his work. So what's new, man? How you been? Well, uh, JW, thanks for having me on your uh, podcast here. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to come and uh, chat about black rifles, uh, namely the AR-15. Um, we've been going through a lot lately. It's been a uh, really fun time. We've really been enjoying ourselves and, uh, you know, we try to do everything that we can to support uh, everyone we work with on uh, both YouTube and, and we deal with a lot of folks in the podcast community and in, in, the, uh, in the Google Hangout community. So we always try to support that. Uh, let me begin by just saying that my Internet connection is a little bit slow, so I apologize in advance for any crummy audio you might be getting or anything like that. Um, Chad also couldn't be with us tonight. He's... Uh, back at his house editing the newest FPS Russia video, so that's uh, going to be interesting. Uh, but, yeah, overall staying pretty busy, um, loving life for the most part. Um, just uh, a lot of things going on. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking ARs because, uh, really, the only person I know that, that really does a lot of stuff with ARs other than myself is, is Ray Vaughn up at Moss Pond there. And uh, not to jump around on subjects, but I will say that um, I have done business with Brownells. Uh, you mentioned Brownells. I own numerous magnetip sets. Uh, their screwdriver sets are excellent. Good hollow ground, uh, you know, screwdriver tips. They work really well. Uh, it's funny. I w uh, was actually grading some papers for SDI earlier, and I made several recommendations on Brownells. Um, another uh, volume they have is their gunsmithing kinks. If you guys have ever checked that out, that's an awesome volume for just all kinds of little tips and tricks uh, that gunsmiths have collected over the years a great volume uh, for some of you guys that are into you know, working on your own guns it's always nice to have some interesting things like that you know laying around but uh but yeah not bad and uh thanks for having me oh of course so 
the two of us ran into each other on the bus ride to Media Day at Shot. Uh, you were there with Chad, and wh- what were you guys shooting that day? We were actually just kind of going around checking out a lot of different stuff. Uh, Range Day or Media Day, I should say, at SHOT Show, they have a morning session and they have an evening session or, or a later afternoon session. Uh, we were there for the morning session, which is for invited media personnel only like ourselves. Um, but we were out there shooting the new Geisley AK trigger, which is kind of cool. I know the uh, AK is kind of the evil cousin to the AR, but very pertinent. You know, Geisley also makes a lot of... I was so impressed by that sucker. I mean, the price point was ridiculous, and uh, you can really rip off some rounds with that sucker. Yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, the uh, the Geisley triggers are great. Um, Also, that we were out filming with a lot of different stuff. I shot the new Savage, a little 17 HMR uh, semi-automatic they've got out now, which is kind of cool. Um, I didn't get to really go around and do every little thing I wanted to. Uh, they had this crazy, like, um, pump-action double-barrel shotgun out there that was next to the Isley booth. Um, I didn't get the video with it because we were just kind of short on time. Uh, but that thing looked like it had some promise. I did get to shoot it. Uh, seemed pretty cool, you know. It's it's heavy. It's clunky. It's a little bit ungainly, but I, I think it's got promise. Uh, it's certainly neat if you're just into, into cool guns, you know. It's, it's different, you know. Sure, for sure. So tell me about yourself. How did you get into shooting? What sort of background do you come from growing up with firearms? My background, well, you know, just um, as a young man growing up, I, I grew up in a in a predominant uh, firearms family. So, you know, my dad, my grandparents, all my family has always been hunters and, and marksmen growing up. So I just I grew up around guns as a, as a young child, and I was actually exposed to guns at a, at a very young age. I mean, I was shooting 22s when I was 8 or 9 years old. Had my first uh, deer rifle when I was about 10 or 11. My first shotgun when I was 10. Had my first 22 when I was 9. And I've been shooting ever since. So just pretty much your standard fare for most uh, Americans growing up in a predominant um, two-way household, basically. (laughs) Now, where does your username come from? You know, it's interesting. You know, like back in the days when I know some of you may not remember this because it was so long ago and everything. But back when this internet was this newfangled contraption, not a lot of people knew what was going on. And remember how it was really popular in the early days to just take, like, some subject, add some numbers to it, and make yourself, like, an email address? You know, Mm -hmm. like, okay, skater boy or guitar player or or biker girl or whatever. You have all these different, you know, things. And then, oh, well, well, there's already a skater boy. So there's got to be, like, skater boy one, skater boy two. So I, I went through and I was creating like email addresses and my mom one time, uh, you know, made this, this email address for her that had eights on it. And for some reason I thought it would be cool to just add those eights on mine. They don't mean anything. They're completely irrelevant, but I just added the eights and it kind of stuck and it's just complete, just randomness. That's all it is. Now, is that to represent that you had served over in Iraq and have some military background? Oh, well, well, yeah, obviously, you know, I, I think that what a lot of folks will do, like say you're you're creating a YouTube username or you're creating an email address or, or something that identifies you to, to your email address, obviously. Uh, you know, I felt that being in Iraq was like kind of the, the pinnacle of accomplishment of my life at that point when I made the, uh, 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 you know, the email address and the, the YouTube username. And, uh, you know, I, I just figured, okay, I, I'm a, a veteran of the Iraq war. So like Iraq veteran and then add the eights and it just kind of stuck. Um, 
looking back on it, I probably should have done something a little bit different. Uh, it, it was kind of this just random thing that happened with the uh, with the channel growing and everything. It, it, very, very random. You know, I had one of those early, like, BlackBerry World phones, you know, and I thought I was, like, all hot stuff, you know, because I had this fancy phone that you get your emails on and, like, read your emails and respond to them and stuff. And, you know, how you could have, like, your email notifications turned on or off depending on, like, which box you set up and all. Well, uh, you know, I had subscription updates to where they would come to my phone in the morning. And, and this has been about four years ago when the channel really started just kind of taking off and just gradually kind of building up. And I'd wake up in the morning and have like 250 subscription notifications in my inbox. And I remember thinking, well, you know, 250, well, that's no big deal, right? I mean, anybody can get 250 subscribers on YouTube. But once it started uh, happening every day for like three years straight, before you know it, you end up with, you know, sitting on... 1,200 new subscribers every day, and you're gaining 32,000 subs a month, and you're at you know almost uh, three-quarters of a million people that follow your stuff. And it started out for Chad and I just being very informal and, and basic, and then it just kind of you know gravitated and sort of grew into what it is now. Yeah, you see some guys really stressing out about their whole branding and identity issues, and well, that was that was your username. Stick with it. Seems to be working. Complete coincidence. I know a lot of folks have asked me what the significance is, and the answer is there's really no significance other than I'm me, taken. And, and it just exactly. So <laughs> I'm sure there's an Iraq veteran eight 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 seven and an eight 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 nine somewhere or whatever, but I'm the eight 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 whatever. So <laughs> nice. Tell yeah. me about your time in the military. What did you uh, bring from that, and how was it transitioning back into uh, life stateside? Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, military experience and everything like that. Um, I don't know what kind of generation that a lot of the folks that are uh, that are grow or that are listening to this podcast are, are in, or, or how old you know most of these folks are. Um, but I grew up, and and I swear this is going somewhere. I'm not just wasting your time here, but uh, <laughs> I used to watch Ren and Stimpy a lot growing up as a kid, and uh, John Kay. Uh, the creator of Ren and Stimpy, very brilliant man who I respect a lot, made a really good point in one of his outtakes. You know, he made this uh, later interview segment where he was talking about how he came up with this just kind of like crazy ideology that surrounded the cartoon Ren and Stimpy. And it was how him and his family grew up and how, you know, his dad would buy like cans without labels because they were cheaper. And he, he was so cheap, and he would always try to be frugal with everything he was doing in life and trying to just make every dollar stretch to take care of his family. And I took a lot from John Kay's statements about Ren and Stimpy. Now, granted, it's a cartoon, and granted, John Kay is one crazy guy, but I view my military experience as being very similar. Like, you learn to be frugal. You learn to be uh, – you learn to really take in um, the, the – resourcefulness that the military teaches you, not to waste things, to make every little thing work, to see value when you see it, you know, to understand that, that this is the right road to take. You know, it may not be the easiest road, but it's probably the best road for, I guess, the, the value of what of what every situation offers. And I guess it just it made me sort of have that integrity with myself to sort of you know, be able to put aside my ego and understand what really needs to happen versus what has to happen. And and a lot of folks are, are sort of jaded by their everyday existence. And 
when you're in a military situation, you you tend to kind of respect that a little more. When you've got the guys around you that are relying on you to do your job, you're relying on them. Uh, it, it's a little family, and I think that's what it taught me was the the utility of people putting their heads together and and coming up with good ideas, but then also the the sacrifices that go into having like a family, and and that's essentially what it was about. You know, I uh, I joined the guard in '02. Uh, going out of high school, went through basic, pretty much I was deployed uh, to Iraq pretty soon afterwards, spent one year in Iraq with 3rd ID. So when you're overseas, you know, whether you go to Afghanistan, Iraq, whether you've been to, you know, you're a soldier from Vietnam, no matter where you go, the military does one thing for you, and it 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 teaches you to teach yourself. And to me, that's really one of the most important lessons. I, You know, I was an infantry guy, so I was 11 Charlie. I was a mortarman. So I was 11 Bravo, 11 Charlie, it's infantry. And uh, it, it, it just teaches you to teach yourself and to respect utility and to respect being frugal and to take care of the people around you. Uh, it was really more of a life lesson than it was service in a way to me. Like it, it, it taught you to be a better person. It can't force you to be a better person. It can't make you a better person. But if you take in the situation as a good person, you will get better. I know that's kind of odd, but that's my perspective. Oh, it's a really positive perspective. That's that's great that you came out of your time with so much that you were able to take with you. Um, yeah. Did you move right into the workforce, or had you worked with uh, Moss Pond before? Well, you know, it, it's funny. Um, I've known Ray Vaughn, uh, the gunsmith at Moss Pond. I've known him for almost 12 years now. And, uh, you know, Ray and I have been friends for years. We've always talked about gunsmithing, and I've always shown interest in gunsmithing. And uh, with that particular situation, I've been a customer of Moss for almost 18 years. So as a young man growing up, some of my first experiences as a gun owner were going into Moss Pond and purchasing a gun at Moss. So to say that I had a, a direct relationship with him at that point in terms of working there, no. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I took on a few like menial jobs right out of the service. Like I had, I was a security guard for a while, which was kind of crazy. And uh, you know that that was an interesting job in itself, just because you see like what goes on and you work long shifts and you're up late at night. So I did security work, which was kind of a bum job. You know, nobody likes third shift work. And some people prefer it, but I hated it because I hated being up late at night and stuff. Um, I took a security job. Hell, I had a manager's job at a music store at one point. So just kind of like menial jobs. That, in, in my opinion, it was just like it was something to do. It was just something to make money and, you know, try to take care of my, you know, myself and everything. But YouTube started to sort of take off, and all of these things sort of correlate together. Um, there's a point with YouTube where you get to a point where you can actually make a living off of it. But that process sometimes can take a while, and sometimes that overall process, especially in the early days uh, when channels first started becoming monetized, now everyone monetizes. But back then, let's just say four or five years ago on YouTube, it was much more difficult to actually monetize YouTube efforts. Uh, they had to invite you into the partners program, and I want to say I was like one of the first 60 channels on YouTube to actually monetize a YouTube video. I was actually personally like invited kind of into the fold to monetize my content. And it was still experimental back then. They weren't sure how they were going to do it. 
And, you know, without getting too personal in terms of the information I'm putting out here, uh, you know, the first couple of checks started rolling in, and at first they weren't very significant. You know, I've gotten like a two or three hundred bucks or something, or six hundred bucks, and then, you know, the checks started to kind of trickle in, and they would be like each month, like slightly more and more. Like one would be two hundred bucks, then the next month would be like two hundred fifty bucks, then it would be like six hundred bucks, and then like I've eventually got in a check where I made like over a thousand dollars, and I was like, wow, this can actually supplement my existence in some way. And then that's when I started like cutting back some of the hours at some of the other jobs I had to concentrate more on YouTube. And all of that eventually sort of correlated into, okay, well the YouTube videos are getting more and more popular. I'm making somewhat of a living. It's doing a little bit better. And then eventually as the channel gets really large, like we have now, you can generally, if you play your cards right, just about make a living doing it. So that's kind of what happened. You know, um, I got to talking to Ray. Ray said, dude, you're looking for a job. You should come work at Moss. You know, at the time uh, that I was brought on at Moss, um, you know, I, I didn't have a job. I needed a job. Uh, you know, I had a girlfriend at the time who's now my wife, and I need to be able to take care of her. You know, she didn't want to have some broke dick guy hanging out without a job and everything like that. So, you know, when you're in a relationship with someone, you want to be able to support that household in every way and kind of pull your weight in that in the household. So obviously, yeah, when Ray said, hey, you should come uh, apply at Moss, I did. And uh, I'd already known the Mosses for several years and uh, already had a good relationship with Ray and Mr. Moss, and uh, it ended up being a perfect fit, and I got wrong. Now, my only real familiarity with pawn shops has been real small, a lot of power tools, a few old Game Boys and maybe a rifle or two. Um, seems like Moss Pond isn't isn't quite on that level. Well, you know, here's the thing: is that there's this like stigma with pawn shops, and uh, th there's always going to be a negative stigma associated with pawn shops. You know, a pawnbroker is one of the oldest jobs in the world. People have been loaning money on merchandise for. Years and years and years and years. So pawn shops obviously are going to have a stigma with being some shady, sleazy guy trying to screw you out of your stuff. The things you buy from a pawn shop being, oh, well, it's this crummy crap that no one wants, and you're going to overpay for it. And, oh, you're buying something that someone paid, you know, a quarter of what you're paying for it for and screwing you. And Moss is a very different animal because um, Kerry built his business, Mr. Moss built his business, off of honesty, integrity, and, and I know a lot of folks go, oh, yeah, an honest pawnbroker, pawn yeah, right, but he really did build his business with very little money starting out, built his way up slow by developing good clientele, only took good items, you know, he wouldn't take junk and a bunch of crap. See, a lot of pawn shops, they'll take an item, they will never say no. Even if it's some broken piece of crap, they want that business, and that's really a bad way to be because that's how a pawn shop ends up with all these crummy power tools and all this crap that nobody wants. So Moss isn't really like that. They only take good items that they know they can loan money on. But then Kerry also understands the importance of having like a full-service gunsmithing shop and a full-service gun shop with all brand-new guns. Most people associate guns at pawn shops with some dusty little rack with like eight guns on it that are, half of them are probably broken 
mm-hmm. there's something wrong with them, or there's also this stigma about pawn shops. Oh, these guns are hot. They're stolen. They're they're <laughs> this. They're that. But Moss isn't like that. I mean, they they take in good guns. They don't buy junk, and uh, they carry new guns. So it really is kind of like you've got the gun shop and you got the pawn shop. They're, they're really, in my opinion, from a business standpoint, they're really two separate entities. But obviously, once you have the word pawn in the title, people go, oh, it's a pawn shop. <laughs> so, but it really is a, a first-class gun shop. You know, Ray Vaughn is the gunsmith up there. He is a great guy. I've known him personally for almost 15 years. He is one of the smartest men I know. And he can fix any freaking gun. And he can he can work on ARs, AKs. He does great Sega conversions. He taught me everything I know about working on Segas. So, you know, just a great establishment. You know, the Mosses have always been really, um, you know, supportive of the YouTube channel and everything that we do. So, uh, yeah, great great place. What have you guys been working on lately on the channel? I know I've seen a couple of things recently um, that are very AR-focused. There was the Meltdown. Um, yeah. I talked to you a little bit about that on the bus, but mm-hmm. that sucker got real hot. What ended up uh, making that, that barrel fail on you? Well, well, we, we, cooked, we cooked that thing pretty good. Um, without getting too far ahead, um, basically what we've tried to do is some projects in the channel one of the things we've tried to do is focus on certain subjects throughout the month that sort of, and to the best of my ability, go along with, like, the man can themes. So, like, January was our first, like, real stab at doing this whole man can thing. And with man cans, it was AR month. So we thought it would be fun to just do, like, stuff like the AR-15 uh, accessories overview video that we posted. Uh, that was in early February. We did the AR meltdown. We did the AR magazine torture test. Uh just things where we're either talking about components, testing components. And for us, that's important to kind of pick something and just blitzkrieg it out and go nuts with it. And then people would get a real good idea about that platform. Uh, so that was kind of our goal. We may or may not proceed with that in terms of, you know, using ManCam subject as a platform for what we'll make that videos about in that month. But where the barrel failed is generally behind the gas block cut uh, where the barrels are turned down thinner right behind the gas block, that's generally where they're always going to fail if a barrel is actually going to bust just because the metal is is a little bit less thin right there, or more thin, I should say. Um, the big issue there is that as those pressures develop, what happens when you melt down a barrel that hot, when you get the, that thing smoking like it was in that video? It took, uh, I think, like 830 rounds to cook that thing. Um, what happens is, first... When a barrel wears, it wears from the muzzle end and the lead and chamber end inward, like this, if you can see. So, you know, muzzle, chamber, it wears inward, and that's where the rifling wears from generally. So it was getting so hot, it was shooting out the throat of the barrel, just literally drawing chunks of, of chrome and whatever other matter of crap out of there. So what happens is you've basically got like a smooth bore for like the first six or seven inches of barrel. Okay, so what happens is there's less start pressure and there's less pressure developing when that round actually begins to move. Now, what happens when it reaches the rifling? You get an increase in pressure. So it's smooth bore whim and then it stops at the right. You know, it doesn't stop, but it it all happens very quickly, obviously. But the the bullet hits that rifling and then there's that spike in pressure Mm -hmm. where it's that increase where it's meeting that resistance. 
to the fact that the lead was just shot out to hell and back. You got that increase in pressure and the thin metal behind the uh, the gas block. That was just a recipe for being where that barrel was going to fail. I, I had a strong feeling that either the gas tube was going to pop on it or the barrel was going to fail behind the gas block. So, About how much time did it take you to go through those 800 rounds? The time that's in the video. Uh, what, 12 minutes? 11 minutes? 12 minutes, yeah. I'm thinking that's what usage isn't, of, isn't very common with the AR. No, we we had uh, our buddy up at uh, Quiet, uh, Quiet Riot Firearms in uh, McDonough, Georgia. Uh, he's a local class 10, does a lot of uh, suppressor sales and short barrel rifles, factory uh, SBS shotguns, things like that. He mainly deals in class 3 stuff. Um, but with him, uh, he brought down his, his class 10 manufactured like posty uh, M16 lower. Mm-hmm. And uh, at first, I was like, hey, let's melt an M16. He's like, well, uh, how about we not? So we dropped my <laughs> upper on knowing that the upper was going to pretty much cook. Here's an interesting little factoid about that video is we had a really nice Armisite Zeus thermal that had, you can record the reticle. Mm-hmm. And we recorded the whole video with the thermal, seeing where the heat was really developing in the whole rig. And uh, unfortunately, the files were uh, so bummer. we didn't get the damn thermal shot because that's an eight thousand dollar thermal. Yeah, and, uh, I was playing around with a couple pretty nifty things that shot. And yeah, I can imagine getting that on camera would have been real cool. Yeah, so we actually, to answer your other question about projects we're working on, uh, I I just picked up a uh, a half scale parrot rifle, uh, and this is kind of going like from the ARN down to like almost antiques and stuff. But you yeah. know, back in the Civil War, they had you know rifle parrot parrot guns. It was basically a rifled cannon. It loaded from the muzzle, but, you know, used black powder, but it was rifled. And uh, it's a 37-millimeter Parrot rifle. So that's uh, one little project we're working on is the Parrot gun. And then uh, we've got a few more Meltdown videos planned. Uh, let's just say that I'm going to keep it a secret for now, but but they're going to be they're, they're going to be something to hang on to your seat for because one of the Meltdown videos, I have a pretty strong idea that it's going to take about 10,000 rounds of ruined gun. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like a nice gun. Maybe just a really rugged gun. <laughs> um, so I'm thinking two ends of the spectrum. I'm thinking like incredibly like rugged big gun, or I'm thinking like 22 long rifle. Well, I don't think this would generate the kind of heat required to, to melt a gun like, like we did in the meltdown. Exactly. Uh, but let's just say there's a certain Austrian uh, polymer gun that, I think it's going to take quite a few rounds to get hot enough to anything to hurt it. All uh, right, enough said. Yeah, we we may we may be uh, melting one of those soon. Nice, you know, nice. my guy at Quiet Riot has a registered backplate for one, so we're going to drop that in. And I'm, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take the take the gun right out of the box and say, "All right, here, guys, brand new factory one. Add the autos here and go. Here we go. Hold on. You're not going to like bake it in a block of Jello first or something like that. No. Um, as far as the YouTube world I I don't really follow it very much Um, do you guys are you part of a bigger network Uh, are you doing it all on your own just in the garage what's what's the production schedule look like well um, 
Now, if you mean that our, our production efforts, if they have anything to do with anyone else, the answer is no. Uh, we're pretty much our own family-owned and operated production company. Mm -hmm. I hate to use the word production company because the way we started out was just like a bunch of rednecks with cameras just doing crazy stuff. Like if you look at some of the early High Point videos of me and Ray and our beer bellies hanging out and like we're just shooting turds, I mean, that's some really early videos. So, um, yeah, we're, we're family-owned and operated. Chad is uh, chief cameraman and editor. He does all the editing and camera work. Uh, I'm kind of the mover and shaker of the bunch. I'm the, the person that puts things together, makes sure everyone stays on task. Uh, my wife, Brandy, is the business manager. She makes sure that I'm making good decisions and I'm not uh, doing things that are too far outside of the realms of uh, our financial uh, acumen. So, you know, make hey, sure I'm not 10,000 rounds. Well, honey, where are you going to get those 10,000 rounds from? Exactly, exactly. So, um you know, and, and then also, we are responsible for producing FPS Russia's channel. Uh, if you guys don't know who he is, you know, he's the, the fake, you know, talks with the fake Russian accent, does all the crazy big guns and stuff. So uh, we're also responsible for FPS Russia's channel. And uh, he's also locally here in Georgia. Uh, so we're both here in Georgia, both Georgians. Uh, we get along really well. And that's kind of my job. Like when we're out on FPS Russia shoot, uh, it's my job to make sure that uh, that Kyle's doing his job, that Chad is doing his job, everyone's staying on task, we're staying on budget. So I guess that my my job is sort of as a host, and I'm kind of a showrunner and producer. Awesome. I kind of make sure that we keep keep the budget reasonable, uh, you know, and everything like that. So how has how is the kind of developing YouTube community? complimented or how is it different than the firearms community at large? Is it, has it been good? Has it been challenging? I would say that the two are very closely related because the, the firearms industry in general is a very um, relationship based industry. Uh, relationships are important. Um, you know, so-and-so that makes a, a spring that goes in this kit or whatever uh, might also be the same guy that makes an extractor or part that goes in this kit that this company buys, and then this company buys this person's stuff, and those people talk, and their marketing people talk, and it, it there's so much relationship-based stuff, and it's like, oh, you know so-and-so over at so-and-so, and it's like, yeah, we do. It It's all about, um, you know, people chatting and talking and doing things. So, yeah, it's very relationship-based. And I would say that YouTube is actually the same exact way because with YouTube, it's not uncommon for me to call up, you know, 22 Plinkster and go, hey, man, uh, what do you have going on next week? And then we get together and do a video. Or me call up, you know, Tim at Military Arms Channel, which is another great YouTube channel, and go, hey, uh, you know, what do you have going on? Let's plan a trip up there to Indiana. Come do some filming. So it's kind of, you know, it goes hand in hand, you know, just like the firearms industry is very uh, relationship based. So is the YouTube world. Now there are some people on YouTube that don't exactly don't play, like what we, well what we call play fair. You know, some of them don't play fair, but I would say that, that I'm not going to name any names, but I would say that very few of those people are in, are in that category. Um, most of the major YouTube channels that are gun related uh, that most people are familiar with, I mean, we have each other's phone numbers, we talk, we try to collaborate. You know, last year we had Jerry Mitchell and his family down to do some shooting with us. And as many of your uh, podcast subscribers probably already know, 
he is one fast dude behind an AR trigger. And uh, we did the bump fire versus uh, versus Jerry. And, uh, you know, so having him down and doing videos with us is a very humbling experience for us because, you know, I come from simple means. I come from simple means as a YouTube producer. So when a guy like Jerry says, yeah, let's get together and do some filming, it's like, really? You really? I mean, that's kind of like being a, a basketball player and you're, you know, you're, you're a basketball player in, in, in the hood and Michael Jordan walks up to you and goes, hey, let's play some ball. Like, what? Really? You know, like it's like your idol coming up to you and going, yeah, let's, you know, Mar- Mario Andretti says, yeah, let's go drive. Like, what? <laughs> you know, so to me, that was like the pinnacle of, you know, once you had guys like Jerry wanting to come and work with us, uh, to me, that was just the pinnacle. Like, I knew we were legit at that point. Awesome. Um, how long have you guys been running your own website? Our own website? Well, you know, the the YouTube thing was, was kind of like overwhelming uh, for us at first. So we kind of settled in and, and made sure that we kind of like um, sort of mastered that and got it where we wanted it. And then as time went on, what we ended up doing with that is uh, deciding, okay, well, let's increase our presence on like, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Let's build a website. And, man, I went on there and I just I built like a little WordPress website. I bought IraqVeteran8888.com turned it into kind of like a little landing spot, mainly just for people that are on Google searching for me or for searching for our YouTube videos. I wanted the YouTube videos to point at the website and for the website to point to the YouTube videos so that people could find me easier. And that's initially how why we started the website, just to have a landing spot because people would expect it. It'd be like going on Google and, and searching for, I don't know, Walmart and not seeing walmart.com like you would want to see walmart.com or something or whatever you're searching for. Mm-hmm. So for us it was just important to have a landing place associated with us uh to put not only exclusive content and things like that but to also organize some of our content in a way it makes it fun for people to uh to to get on and check out. And it's just a little WordPress website, it's nothing fancy, uh but it seems to have been doing pretty well so far. So we're we're trying to make it better and better as time goes on. Now, I see you've got a forum there. Do you guys have, like, regular um, people that just watch the channel and like to interact with you, or what goes on over there? I would say it's, it's probably most of the people that are either there to a- ask questions, uh, to interact with each other. It's a place where they interact with other fans. And to be honest with you, we're looking at some different forum options because I know it's slightly limited. Uh, I don't really get to get on there and, and it as much as I'd like to or to post and interact with people as much as I'd like to and I regret that uh, it's just that in these recent days we've been so busy and everything it's very hard for me to draw my focus away from certain things so for me it, it's like I literally have so much going on all the time that it's extremely difficult for me to kind of go okay I'm going to do this I'm going to do this I have to have a very narrow focus especially when guys like me are responsible for other large channels like FPS Russia, and then I got my channel. So between Kyle's work and mine, we're staying pretty loaded and busy, mm-hmm. you know, for the most part. Now, what's this uh, members-only section here? All right, the members-only section is something that I started up. Uh, originally, the reason that we did that is to give some of our um, some of our fans a chance to just donate to help out the channel and everything, and 
Um, basically, the way it works is you can either pay like a, a bi-yearly, yearly, or monthly rate and get access to like exclusive content. So what Chad and I will do is we'll either have Brandy come out and film behind the scenes on a video shoot, or we'll do specific um, videos just for members only. Uh, for instance, I've got a series called War Stories, and uh, it's it's stories that I share with my subscribers about not only my time in the service, um, but times that have been, uh, I suppose, you know, told to me over the years by other veterans. So I, I share other veteran stories, my stories, and uh, it's just a way for me to interact on a personal level because, you know, those are things you don't really like talking about to just anybody. So I look at it like if a fan cares enough to financially support our channel, I want them to have some exclusive content. And part of that exclusive content is war stories and me kind of showing them a side of me that I won't show on YouTube. And that's the whole point of doing that. Um, we also do like some kind of opinion poll type stuff on there. Uh, so when I do members only, I might send out an email that says, hey, uh, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? We might integrate it, this into the channel. And it gives those individuals a chance to let their voices be heard before anyone else even knows about it. So the members only people knew about Mancans before it even took off, even, even, even was official at all, before we even thought about doing it. I got mm -hmm. on there and was like, hey, what do you guys think? And I get their opinions because, see, someone like that, I know I can trust their opinion because they financially support the channel. So Yeah, they're invested in what you're doing. And yeah, exactly. And eventually what, what we're going to see is probably um, the members-only thing kind of being scaled down and more of the effort being put towards man cans. And to me, that is a, a way that people can support us and still get some really cool, like, you know, items uh, in exchange that are kind of personal for me. So. You know, it's one of those things. It's awesome. always about trying to, to figure out a way to make the channel make financial sense and at the same time us make some sort of living. I mean, like, I don't make, like, I don't necessarily make, like, a, a big amount of money off of just YouTube. Like, a lot of people think, oh, you get, like, 9 million views a month. You must be making, like, half a million bucks. Or, oh, that paid you a million bucks. No, it, it's not like that. I, and the money is not, you know, crazy like that. Uh, it does help out with expenses. It, it is a little bit of extra money. But ultimately, the, the true success of us taking on larger projects has always been through the support of the viewers. And whether it's man cans, whether it's um, members only, it's a way that they can help support what they feel is, is great content and a great channel. I mean, imagine, like, I'm burning up a $900 AR upper, you know, shooting thousand bucks worth of ammo in some of the videos. I mean, like, imagine if I do that, a Glock video and I burn up 10,000 rounds, those rounds got to come from somewhere. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people appreciate the quality of the content, uh, the quality of the uh, production value, the, the, the type of content we produce, and the fact that sometimes we get on there and we screw guns up. We, we destroy guns in the name of science, and I think a lot of people realize that that's not free, and they're willing yep. to... Uh, support us in that endeavor because they like what we do. So. Now you keep saying man cans. What what is this all about? All right. Well, man cans is is actually kind of a uh, an interesting thing. We um about two and a half years ago or so, uh, we had a uh, a little video we put up, and we said, hey, for Christmas, check this out, man cans. And it was just this quirky little name I came up with, and we took like a fifty cal ammo can, cracked it open. 
we said, hey guys, if you if you're having a hard time figuring out like that gun related item for your your gun lover in your family, whether it's your your husband, your brother, your daughter, your wife, whatever, your sister, and they're a gun person and you want to buy them something gun related and you don't know what to buy them, take a 50 cal can, crack it open, stuff it full of stuff, and make like a little grab box. That was her whole thing. Is like, okay, who wouldn't want at least an extra 50 cal can with some cool stuff in it? You can always use a spare ammo can laying around. So we put that idea up, didn't think much about it. Well, I got in there, and I was scoping around on some of the comments about uh, about a year later. We started getting some of the comments rolling in, even still. And folks are like, are you all going to sell these? Like, you should sell these. So the, that idea just kind of sat out there and stewed for like an entire year before we finally realized, you know what, let's just try this on for size, you know. Let, let's say, hey, we're going to do a man can theme, pick a theme, run the man cans out, and uh, we're going to try to, you know, run it. And it just kind of, it just kind of started, you know, and we tried it on for size and it just kind of worked. Now, so, is it like a surprise every month as far as what's going to come in the man can? Yes. Um, basically, we, we originally wanted to set it up like a subscription service, but mm -hmm. the logistics required and the expense required in doing that is astronomically high compared to the amount of units we're planning on running. So um, basically, it's, it's sort of like a pay-to-play arrangement. So what happens is each month uh, in the queue in our, in our channel, we'll be, have one video every month that discusses the ManCan announcement, and it will announce a theme. So all you know is the theme that it's going to be. You don't know what the items are going to be. But what I do is each each month when I do the video, I'll discuss the previous themes and then showcase the items that were in those boxes. So you get to see what it was like from January, from February, from March. But you don't know what you'll get in April, and it's a surprise. Because some folks like the surprise element. You know, they want to know that April could be plinking month and that, okay, you're paying 30 bucks plus shipping for a can, and everything that's in the box is going to be related to plinking, whether it's like little targets or whatever. So that's the way we've been running it, and that's probably the model we're going to stick with for a while, um, just until we figure out a better way or a more productive way. Uh, we want to make sure that people are very, very happy with what they get. So, you know, we've had some comments and suggestions kind of flowing through on it, and uh, for us, that's just important to make sure we take those folks uh, and their suggestions to heart because not only are they fans of the channel, but they support us in that way by buying a can. Uh, you know, obviously we make a little money on the cans. We're not getting loaded off of them or anything, um, but we do want to make sure those folks are happy. It's not like this is some plastic bin drop shipped from China. Like you're, no. you're no. going out, you're finding stuff and you're actually yes. filling these yourself. That's correct. Um, like 99.9% .9 of all the products are American-made, which is something that's very important to me. Um, we work with a lot of not only Georgia companies that are local, but, but just companies in America here all across the states, and we do business with a lot of them. It's also a great way with, like, Mancans. For instance, March is Mosin Month. So with March being Mosin Month, it allows me to reach out to some of the companies that I work with that either make Mosin parts or they make really high-end type stuff like mounts or, or bolt handles or things like that. And it allows me to say, hey, let's get a few of these in some of the boxes for a few select people. And it allows, you know, some lucky person is probably going to get a rock-solid uh, bolt uh, bolt handle, scope mount, 
one lucky person's going to get a stock. One lucky person might even win a most. So for me, it's it's one of those interesting things. It, it allows me to take the things in my hobbies and in my interest level and kind of give them out to folks and spread that out so they can kind of be a part of what I do. And the whole interesting thing about man cans is that a lot of the items that are in the can are unique to either our channel or it's unique in terms of something we um, custom made for them. Like, for instance, March uh, is Mosin Month. It'll have a custom shirt that we're uh, developing just for that month's can, and it'll never be available again. So things like that. They're getting unique items that are very niche and very personable. That are, They're from us. So that's what makes it, to me, personal. Yeah, I mean, you get an ammo can, you get a T-shirt. I mean, anything on top of that's just gravy for you 30 bucks. Well, we're not doing metal ammo cans. Okay. It comes in a box. You're not getting an actual ammo can. Uh, we looked at doing ammo cans, but the big problem with that is uh, there's a couple of things with it. One is logistics because they're big and they're heavy and they take up a lot of room, and it's difficult to process orders using actual ammo cans. And two, if I used a real metal ammo can, it would drive the cost of the can up like another almost $20. Mm-hmm. Even on wholesale, even if I call up somebody and say, hey, send me 2,000 metal ammo cans, sure, I could probably buy them for you know, 9 or $10 a piece, but that just means I have to roll that price back over into the cost of the can. So instead of the can being 30 bucks, I'd have to charge like 45 bucks. And I, I just, that's a price point I didn't really want to go at. Mm-hmm. I wanted the packaging to be simple and basic and that for the contents of the can to speak for the theme. Because think about it. If you support man cans for a year, you end up with like 12 ammo cans. Like some folks may not need all the extra, <laughs> extra cans, you know? So, we're trying to keep it simple and keep the cost uh, within a range that's affordable for the, the largest amount of people. So that awesome. was our goal there. Awesome. But, yeah, some of these photos I'm seeing, it's uh, a bunch of hats, a whole handful of stickers. There's bottle openers, obviously the T-shirts. Yep. And then we did the cleaning month in February was even better. Um, one second. Jacob, hand me that, that mock-up can on the shelf there. I'm going to show you guys a, a mock-up of a uh, can I know your podcast subscribers may not be able to see this, but I want to show you. For the this select the few that, that um, tune in on YouTube. So check this out. All right, this is a can that, it, it's a box, but it looks kind of like an ammo can. So that's cardboard. It, it is cardboard. It, it's kind of a mock-up. That's and awesome. Just, yeah, this is a prototype, and it's meant to, it's got like a little, check it out. Let's see, it opens kind of like a little ammo can. So that's a little mock-up that we have, uh, you know, in mind. Go on. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so we're, we're trying to look at, like, some some packaging that's a little bit cooler, a little bit neater looking. Right now we're just shipping them out in, like, little U-line boxes, just something basic, just to get the product out in the hands of people for now. Now, um, you said you put your episode up on YouTube when you're announcing a new month. Um, yes, is that something that sells out real quick, or how are people yes. hooking up with uh, getting that ordered? It's it's very interesting you mention it. Uh, you know, March, uh, we made the announcement. We made the, the area of the website go live, and uh, we sold out of 1,500 cans in four days. Hmm. So we opened sales up from the time we post the video to the end of the month, and sometimes it takes the whole 15 days. 
Sometimes it doesn't. I get the orders in, get my shirt sizes in, especially on a month when we're doing shirts like March. I get my shirt sizes in. That way I can call up my distributor, order my shirts, and get them in time to ship out. So I, I can't pre-stock some of the items. Like, see, if I do a shirt, how am I supposed to know what shirt sizes everyone needs? So it's easy for me to get the orders in and then call up and order the exact number. Yep. So for us, we like to do the pre-order, get the shirts in, have them made, ship them out, fulfill the orders. Everyone's happy. Awesome. So it's been going really well. But, yeah, this, this last month we sold out in about four days. <laughs> we want it to be this, like, really exclusive thing. Like, I know I could sell more units than, than 1,500. We, we have been capping it at 1,500 units. But I want it to be kind of quasi-exclusive. You know, I want the people that watch the channel to go, oh, cool, man, can't just drop it. Pow, order it. Mm-hmm. And then the guys that, that didn't, that weren't Johnny on the spot, and they didn't follow up until a week later, ah, oh, they're sold out. Dang, man, I missed it. Yep. I want it to be special. Cool. Um, hey, what else you got planned here? I know you said you're putting a FPS show together. Um, what, what's coming up on the channel? For Kyle or for me? For you. For me? Well, you know, like I said, we've got the parrot gun. Uh, that'll be cool. We've got a couple more body armor tests uh, that are that are definitely close to being completed. Uh, well, one is we're going to shoot the uh, body armor with the parrot rifle. So it's like a pound and a half projectile on like uh, four ounces of cannon grade uh, black powder. Uh, get that thing moving pretty pretty fast. So some stuff like that we're doing just for fun and everything. Um, another couple of videos we have coming out. Um, we've been working with a few Henry lever actions. Uh, we've got uh, the original Henry, you know, the, the original 1860 style, you know, Henry uh, repeating rifle. Uh, we've got video on that coming out soon. Um, we have a couple of military surplus rifle videos coming out soon. Uh, namely, I've got a Martini uh, Metford up there on the wall, uh, a full 303 Martini, uh, a couple of 577, 450 Martini Henrys, a few Mark IVs we picked up uh, in Atlanta Cutlery down here. And uh, I think we're going to be doing a little bit more work with uh, a few other mill serps. We're trying to, to kind of get back in the mill serp mode. Because uh, I know a lot of folks love the military surplus rifle videos, so we're trying very hard to to get those out there. Uh, we generally try to produce at least one really really cool black powder related video each month. So I like to you know like I picked up a uh, one of those like 1860 cap and ball uh, army revolvers. So stuff like uh, reproduction black powder stuff. Flint locks, match locks, wheel locks. We, we try to show off some really cool black powder gun each month. So trying to kind of get back into the swing of doing that sort of thing. Awesome. Hey, I saw you um, put like a 40-minute video up recently on the AR upgrades that you recommend. Um, yeah. Could we just kind of cover that real briefly as far as some of the highlights? And if you have a AR that you're setting up for yourself, what are some of those must-haves that, that you're always looking to add to the well, set? I tell you right now, ARs are kind of one of those things. They they are just they are like the adult Legos of the gun world, and and I know that's so true, and I know it's overused, but it's literally the best way to describe it. Because as long as you know what what specifications your parts fall into, as long as you you know, there's a few things you got to make sure you're you're putting together just right. But otherwise, I mean, it, it's really just about selecting what components make you happy and what you like. Um, I like the the new Elfman trigger. 
Um, I ran into one of those at a shot show. I'm going to be putting one of those in my AR. Um, I run a lot of Geisley, Geisley products. I love Geisley triggers. Um, I've got their DMR trigger in one of my rifles. I'm going to be building a DMR off of, um, you know, so they make great stuff. Um, I really like the rail systems, nice and low profile, real simple. Uh, I've got a couple of the Geisley rails on my rigs that I really love using a lot. Um, Geisley has been a really wonderful company uh, to work with, uh, with videos and everything like that. They've always been more than supportive, and uh, they're just great people in general. Um, yeah, Geisley rails, Geisley triggers are rig. always going to be a nice go-to. Um, barrels is something that I'm looking at. Uh, pretty heavily right now. Uh, for my DMR, I'm probably going to stick with the 20-inch barrel. I'm um, thinking about just going like a stainless 20-inch barrel, like a BCM, kind of like Chad had in the other DMR rig that he put together. I'm looking to put together a rig pretty much the same. I'm either going to use the uh, the Geisley DMR trigger. I'm going to use the Elfman. I'm going to use a 20-inch, uh, reasonably, I'd say, medium contour barrel, not too heavy, not too light, and then uh, run, you know, good good solid upper and lower, uh, probably just run a full length. I'll, I'll probably build it out as an A2, just use like a, a military surplus A2 stock or something similar. And uh, I like rigs like that. I've been running the uh, the Sharps Rifle Company, Bolt Care Groups. Um, they're very, very nice. You know, they've got uh, these cuts that they put on the actual locking lugs to reduce travel to let the bolt unlock and lock really smoothly without giving a whole lot of issues. Um, ARs are just one of those things. Uh, I know here recently I've, I've been really wanting to put together 6.5 Grindel upper. Mm-hmm. Um, I've really been into the 6.5 Grindel. I just picked up two Razor HDs. They're one to sixes. Ooh, uh, those are nice. Cortex. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I've got one with the uh, JM1 reticle, Jerry Minchlick reticle. Love it. And, of course, it's interesting to be able to talk to Jerry and go, hey, what do you like about this reticle? And then he'll go into like a 10-minute spiel going, yeah, 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 bang, bang, bang. And it's just it's just great hearing it from the horse's mouth, and that really turned me on to that optic. And So I'm, I'm wanting to build an AR here in the, in the next few weeks. It's going to be kind of a DMR, but then also kind of like a heavy three-gun rifle, right. something that I can really hang on and just really get those shots in there fast. Awesome. Uh, I'm leaning towards the Elfman trigger. Probably going to stick with the DMR from uh, Geisley. I'm just not sure yet. It's going to depend on how well they work off of a barrier. Because okay. that Elfman is awfully light and it's a single stage. Mm. So if you're on a barrier, sometimes that gun can kind of bump and it'll cause it to double up on you. So yeah, you may have to stick with the DMR trigger, which is a wonderful trigger. Um, but the, the Elfman kind of has me thinking too. So we'll see. Now, one of the things I bumped into a few different times at Media Day was carbon fiber wrapped barrels. Mm-hmm. Uh, both on the bolt guns and a few ARs. Is that something you've ever messed with? Well, I know that the um, I, I've dealt with some carbon. Well, I'm probably not even supposed to talk about this, but I, I guess I will. <laughs> I've, I've dealt with some carbon uh, fiber wrapped prototype suppressors that are pretty cool, and they're very lightweight and they're very strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see why the technology wouldn't lend itself well to barrels. Um, I guess it depends on the type of accuracy you're expecting, the rigidity of such a barrel. Uh, how rigid it would be, how how the inherent accuracy of that barrel would be. It's hard to say. I've dealt with some uh, carbon fiber wrapped 1022 barrels. Mm-hmm. Very very lightweight, very accurate, very rigid. Although usually what they'll do is they'll just turn the barrel down relatively thin, and then it's wrapped, 
to make diameter. So you can have a full 920 bull uh, carbon fiber barrel in terms of the, the, the diameter, but a way even less than a standard sport cut barrel. Mm-hmm. So I can see that technology lending itself well to, to use in the AR as long as the harmonics are there, as long as the rigidity is there. It's like say you ran a uh, carbon fiber wrap barrel with just a straight cut, no uh, no profile cuts, but just like a straight cut and ran it in like an 18 or 20 inch and you could keep the weight down. I could see where that would be something handy to have. I'd, I'd have to see how the accuracy was on it and, and the heat dissipation, obviously, being of a concern to some folks. Um, I know carbon fiber is some very stout stuff. Uh, I, I don't really foresee it giving any real issues, but I think the proof would be in the pudding. That's something I'd probably have to, uh, to really just shoot and try out before I developed any kind of a set opinion on it. Yeah, it's definitely something I'm keeping my eye on after seeing quite a few companies starting to lean that direction. Well, you know, the, the whole thing in the AR world right now is just – Everyone's wanting lightweight, mm-hmm. lighter weight, uh, shaving ounces, sometimes shaving a tenth of an ounce. Like everyone's just trying to shave every little bit of weight, and it depends. You know, th- there's a real big difference between a competitor's three-gun rifle, a soldier's rifle, and say a lightweight uh, ranch gun like a patrol rifle. If I were setting up a rifle for walking around on uh, 18,000 acres worth of property, like the guy out in Texas, we went Kyle there at Ox Ranch, then, yeah, I'd probably want the lightest damn AR I could get because I don't want to lug around no, you know, 12-pound gun optic and bipod and all the small ninja stuff. And these guys don't realize, you know, you get to toting the thing around, you're climbing up a 20% grade to go explore a cave that's 200 feet up an embankment. You don't want (laughs) this heavy gun. You want something light and easy to grab and go. So, And we don't know whether we're going to be encountering fast zombies or slow zombies. Well, that's just it. You know, I, I think in the big scheme of things, um, a rifle has to fit a purpose. And the fact that, that ARs are so modular and can be built out in, in, in a wide variety of different configurations, why not have the ultra lightweight rig and then let that rig fall into that one job that it needs to do? Have your heavy, medium-duty rig that's just your everyday go-to AR like you would, you know, like a, I don't know, a, a Smith & Wesson Sport that you've put a nice trigger in and maybe a replacement barrel and a nice optic, you know, just your everyday man's AR. And then have, you like, your Uber, uh, you know, heavy barrel, bipod, free float uh, rail system, uh, varmint gun that you're going to, you know, kill little critters at five 600 yards with. So I think the nice thing about ARs is that is a purpose-built tool for a specific job that's modular and, why not? It, it's like having a hammer that you can go, oh, well, I don't want to drive that big nail. I want to drive a little nail and then take the thing off the end and put the, the little head on it, and then you got a little little hammer. It, it's, it's just a tool that's built for a specific purpose. That That's all it is. So. Yeah, that's great. Well, hey, it's been a pleasure talking with you, Eric. For sure. Um, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Are you real active on Facebook or YouTube comments, or how, how well, do people t- typically get in touch? I would say that most people, when when they want to let their kind of thoughts be known, you know, they generally go on our Facebook, and it's uh, Iraq Veteran eighty eight eighty eight official on Facebook, and uh, you can post on our wall, you can post uh, f- pictures, anything you want. Uh, that's one way, and also the contact uh, form through our website, uh, whether it's sponsorship related or whether it's uh, you know just general questions. We try our best to respond to questions as quickly as possible. You know, obviously with my schedule, it's very difficult to respond to questions all the time. 
Um, but if you have something that you need to say or whatever you need to get through to me, go through the contact form on our website, and that's iraqveteran8888.com, and uh, you'll see the contact uh, tab. Awesome, awesome. Um, well, yeah, let's just wrap it up here. I wanted to let everybody know that the AR-15 that Brownells helped build uh, for us was given away successfully to Hunter on the way to his FFL. By now, he probably has it, so we are very much looking forward to hearing back from him uh, hoping he has a great time at the range with it. Got a few pieces of feedback here, uh, mostly from our Facebook page. I posted a link to the live version of this interview that if you're listening on Monday nights, sometime after 9.30 Eastern, you can probably watch us live. Uh, Mike said, hey, just want to thank IV8888 for the great content and keep up with the great podcast. Arturo earlier in the week shared a deal on a barreled 300 blackout upper. Uh, that we passed along. Looked like a real slick deal. Jeffrey commented on our last show where we had the guys from 80% Arms on talking about the uh, paperweights that they like to sell. And uh, he says, word is from New Jersey that the 80% lowers are a no-go. So I'm not sure what the specifics of that are because, I mean, it's a piece of metal. Um, but I guess New Jersey's starting to clamp down on those. And Al had a question about whether to go 16 inches or all the way out to 20 inches for one of his first real accurate target practice builds. And uh, I'll be sure to run that by the guys next week when we get everybody together and we can kind of discuss some of the pros and cons of putting together a real real long barrel or whether 16 inches could, could do it for you. So with that, I would love it if you guys could send us any questions or comments to feedback at ar15podcast.com. You can leave us a recorded voicemail right on the website. Make sure to subscribe and listen to the show for free on iTunes or in the Stitcher app. Leave us a review there so that our show gets ranked a little bit higher and new people can find it. Share your pictures with us over on Instagram at AR15Podcast or just hashtag AR15Podcast. We'll take a look and uh, get them up in the show notes if you show us maybe your latest build. Like I said, you can watch us live. We'll post that at plus.google.com slash plus AR15podcast over at YouTube. Uh, just search AR15podcast, uh, which is the same way you can find us on Facebook. And if you visit firearmsradio.tv, you can actually see all the other shows in the network. We've got probably a dozen shows or more, and they are putting out weekly content that is just incredible. We've got awesome interviews, just like we have here with Iraq Veteran. And... Uh, you got to check out some of those other shows. Remember, we've got a Brownells affiliate link that you visit by going to ar15podcast.com slash parts, where you should make sure to check out the new Brownells Edge program. And for everything else, there's Amazon. So go to firearmsradio.tv slash Amazon next time you're making a big purchase over there. Well, Eric, it's really been a pleasure. JW, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to let me come on the show and run my mouth a little bit for you. <laughs> hey, of course. We can't wait to see what else uh, is going to show up on your YouTube channel next. And good luck at the range. I appreciate it, and uh, thanks for having me. And uh, guys, have a good one. All right. Talk to you later, guys.
in a world where the mainstream media only talks about clips and ghost guns. Where do you turn for accurate firearms news? Uh, we know people like Ultimac rails, which as far as I'm concerned, for gas tubes on, on custom AKs is a standard. Live every Thursday night at 8 p.m. Central. The, ma- you know, the magic of tracking point, I don't think, is the optic per se, because optics don't, in- don't make you shoot better. They make you see better, right? But the magic of tracking point is that it separates stability from trigger control. This Week in Guns has been broadcasting the truth for over 100 episodes. Like, haha, idiot, not, haha, now you don't have a finger. <laughs> it's funny when you say it like that. that. Yeah, <laughs> that's both kind of funny. Featuring the full auto news segment, stories the real media refuses to talk about. I wonder if there's anybody over there who likes firearms freedom like us. Thisweekinguns.com or search This Week in Guns on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher app. This has been a production of the Firearms Radio Network. You can find more information at firearmsradio.tv.